Good morning. Merry Christmas. It's already December. Can you believe it? I love it. And I have the topic here of Advent season on hope. Hope. And there's an amazing passage in Isaiah. I'm sure you're familiar with many of you. It's Isaiah 9 if you want to turn to it. And I'll read it, and I call this section, Jesus Banishes the Gloom. That's hope. He banishes the gloom. Listen to this. It's a prophecy of Messiah. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as people rejoice when they divide the spoil for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressor as in the day of midian for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire for unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And dear Lord, as we look at these amazing verses written 720 years before they began to be fulfilled, as we look back, to 2,000 years ago when they were fulfilled and even to the present and the future when all their glory will be fully realized. It truly is amazing. It gives us awesome hope. Lord, that you want to drive away the gloom, the darkness, the terrible war and grief and pain of our lives. God, we're so grateful. We're grateful that you sent the miracle man, the God man. So Lord, we invite you to fill us. Speak to us now in your precious name. Amen. So the key verse, verse 6, 
says, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. I love that. The government is on Jesus' shoulders. You know, when I was in high school, maybe you guys remember this. We studied the mythological gods of the Greeks and the Romans. And, and then that one god that really stuck out to me was Atlas, the titan. And he had his titan gods, and he was the leader. And, and then there was Zeus, who was the leader of the Olympians. They had this battle, this war. And Atlas lost, right? And so in punishment, Zeus made him hold up the world forever. That's a little tiring. Holding up the world on your shoulder. But I used to think, man, he's cool. He's got a good body. You know his deltoids and those pecs? Like some of you guys out here. I never had that. But I admired it. I thought it was amazing. The abs, just rippling. When you're holding up the world, it's strenuous. It's difficult. Now all of that is a bunch of garbage. But, though it's a myth, it, it told a story. And we even have the saying, it looks like you're trying to hold up the world. You've got a world of trouble that you're holding up. You need to let it go. Well, God sent us, not a mythological Messiah, but he sent the hope of the world to take it all. You know, we live in a time when there's a lot of worry. There's a lot of fears. There's a lot of fear-mongering. There's a lot of messed up government that stresses and strains our thinking. But there's a king who will reign. And there's a king who can reign, who can lift the load God wants you to cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for me. He wants you to unload, unload that burden on Jesus Christ, especially the burden of the fall and of sin that we carry so much. Now, Isaiah the prophet Isaiah is called the messianic prophet. Probably more than any other prophet, he gave a clear view of the coming, the advent of Messiah. John even said in his gospel that Isaiah saw the glory of Christ and spoke of him. This was Isaiah. No Old Testament writer is more quoted in the New Testament than Isaiah. And prophecies bring us tremendous hope 
because it, it tells us God knows everything and he's got it all under control. It's nice to know that God knows and God said these things would happen and God's word comes true. You can bank on it. That's what prophecy is about. It's so good. He sent the one who's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. And you and me, sister. He's got that little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Let's sing it. God, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he does. This God who knew all about it right down to 2017. He offers you hope. He offers me hope today. Prophecies are interesting because they show the proof of Scripture to be God's Word. It's one of the most powerful things about the Bible that is unique. The prophecies of Messiah, the first coming of Christ, over 300. Like here we just read seven prophecies in the verses we read, probably more. But let's start with one a couple chapters earlier. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. God with us. God would be born of a virgin, the God-man. But his name would be called Emmanuel. I mean, no one has been born of a virgin, so let's, let's set that one aside. Except Jesus. I mean, that's not fair. He, he's the only one who fulfilled that. But let's say Emmanuel. His name shall be called Emmanuel. Now, how many people in the history of the world have been named Emmanuel? Some, the Hispanics, love that name. You don't see it a lot in American, you know, in English. You see it a lot in um, the Greek language and 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 you know other languages. God with us. Awesome, Emmanuel. My name's Wayne. There's no messianic names, Wayne. Richard Taylor. No Messiah in my lineage. So I'm out. I can't be one. How many named Emmanuel here? See, none of you can be one. You're, you're done. So you see it limits things. And then it says here in verse 1 that he would shine his witness in Galilee. 
So his witness would light up Galilee. Any of you done that? Now, there have been some witnesses in Galilee, but not many. None like him. But that limits. Okay, your name, and Emmanuel plus, you shine in Galilee. That, that really limits it. And then, three, four, five, six, and seven, five names in verse six. Wonderful was one of his names. Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Father of Eternity. Anybody named any of those? Okay, plus Emmanuel and shining your witness in Galilee? Uh, that cuts it down. And then finally, in verse 7, the heir to David's throne. You know, if someone was born today, they couldn't even prove their genealogy as being the heir to David's throne because all of those were destroyed except the one recorded in the New Testament by Matthew. The royal line of David and then the physiological line under David in Luke. And there's a reason why those are separated. I don't have time to go into it right now. I'll just tell you, it's amazing. And Jesus fulfilled both. Now, that's eight. That's just eight prophecies out of about 300 and, we don't know, 315, 20. Just Incredible things that said this is what he would do at his first coming. Peter Stoner is a writer of science, and he said that for just eight prophecies to be fulfilled in any one man, the chances would be one in 10 to the 17th power, which is one in 100 million billion. One chance that all eight prophecies would be fulfilled in any one man would be one chance in a hundred million billion. How big is that number? Let's illustrate. Let's take silver dollars. How many would like to have a hundred million billion silver dollars? I would enjoy that. Well, let's say there's a hundred million billion silver dollars and they were all poured out into the state of Washington. The entire state would be eight feet deep in silver dollars. That's how many. That's how big. That's how huge that amount is. This, this little thing here, hundred million billion, about that thick, eight feet deep. Okay, mark one with an X. Just one with an X. And then wander through the state of Washington. Just as long as you want. And at some point, reach out and grab one. Just one at random. The chances that you would get the one marked with the X 
would be the same chance that just eight pre-predicted prophecies could be fulfilled in any one man. I just named eight, but there's 300 and some that Jesus fulfilled because God knew. God knew, and Jesus fulfilled each and every one. Now, that just tells us he's the Messiah. He's the Savior. He banished the gloom for those who receive it. He brings you hope. He brings you hope today. And he brought them hope back then. Now, we see three things in this passage that Jesus did. Three things. And the first thing, he chased away the gloom in Galilee. And it was bad. It was very bad. Because the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, way up there in the north part of Israel, the region around the Sea of Galilee, it's a very naturally beautiful area. I've been there 13 times and going back again in, at the end of May. I love it, it's one of my favorites. But it was a place that was surrounded by Gentile nations. It's on the fringe of Israel, you see. And it's very dangerous up there. When there's attacks, that's where they come first. They come up in the Golan Heights. They come up from the northern part, Lebanon, across the border. And it was the same way back then. There were the Assyrians and the Phoenicians and the people of Syria. Today it's Syria, Lebanon, and Jordan. But they would come in and they would war and they would fight. And in particular, he's talking about the Assyrians from about 743 B.C. to 722 B.C. They were constantly attacking and warring and battling. And these people were horrendously cruel. Think ISIS. That's what they were dealing with. And it was terrible. It was distressing. It was a place of war. And we tend to glamorize war, but it, there was nothing glamorous going on. It was all gloom and doom. And that's pretty much what war is about. And it was not a desirable place to live back then. But then something changed. Jesus. Jesus. He came up and he lived in Nazareth, which was part of Zebulun. And then at age 30, around in there, he was called in, in to do the ministry, was baptized in the Jordan, and he settled in Capernaum, which was part of Naphtali. And what happened? What happened is the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as at first. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The name Galilee means encircling. It encircled that, those tribes. 
and the nations, the Gentile nations, the Assyrians, they had them surrounded. But now, now things have changed. Now the great light of the world came, just like Matthew said. All of these verses are quoted in Matthew 4, 13 through 17. The ones that we just read. Which ones? Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest. Men rejoice Dividing the spoils. So now it's a prosperous place. It's a place of of joy, of hope. Why? One single life that just happened to be the God-man. Jesus Christ, in his ministry, he did so many miracles. He called his first disciples four fishermen who were fishing on the Sea of Galilee up there. He called a tax collector named Matthew up there. He brought so much joy. He completely transformed everything. And the point of this whole thing is that Jesus' presence in a place removes the gloom, dispels the darkness, brings a hope, brings a peace, a goodness. Every time I've been up there, people are still buzzing about Jesus. He he was there 2,000 years ago. Yeah, Jesus. Man, the economy's still good since he came here. Everything flourishing up there is about Jesus. People have a funny saying about America. They say Jesus saves the economy every December. It's true. The birthday of Jesus. That's crass and weird. But even that, it's just amazing the hope and the givingness and the goodness even in the midst of all the selfishness and corruption the light of Christ most importantly he saves people's hearts from gloom and doom caused by sin that's what he wants to do he wants to lift that load he wants to lift the darkness out of your life and my life. The darkness of fear, too. The darkness of selfishness. All of that. You ever feel like a cloud of doom? A cloud of gloom, almost like a rain cloud is constantly over you because you live in Seattle. It is. (laughs) I've lived here my whole life. And Jesus is the only one who's been able to change that for me. It's good, though. 
So good. Sometimes Christmas can manifest the disappointment. Because you know, at Christmas time, you tend to get expectations, you know, about family and friends. And, and, and um, my daughter was even talking about a, uh, the, the, um, the fellow employees were going to have a Christmas party, and she was a big part of planning and doing, carrying it out. And, and it just, the expectations were not fulfilled in the reality. And, and it can let you down. And you're like, what's wrong? Why, why do people let me down so much? Why do I let people down? Why is this so dysfunctional? Why does it have to be like this? Well, we all have problems. We all have issues. This world is fallen. You and I are fallen. Our families are fallen. People are fallen. Jesus came to lift us up, to forgive us, to take the burden of sin off of our hearts and our minds and give us a new life from him and raise us up to a new life. That brings us to the second point, that in Jesus, in the Messiah, God was giving us not just cure for the gloom, but salvation salvation unto us a child is born unto us a son is given it's not just saying the same thing twice in two different ways one is about he was born among men and the other is he was given as a sacrifice to change things because the wages of our sin is death But God showed his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died in our place. He died for you. All the sin in my life, he took on his shoulders. He took on himself. And he chose to drink the cup of God's judgment and wrath against sin that I might be forgiven and justified as he took my sin he gives me his perfect righteousness and then as he died he was buried and on the third day he arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign the the song says I just love that song What does it mean? Well, he was delivered up to death for our transgressions, which means willful disobediences and rebellion. He was delivered up to death for that. And he was raised again for our justification. In other words, how do we know that we're made righteous when we believe in him? Because God raised him from the dead, proving that God accepts his sacrifice on our behalf. That's why we know he is the Savior and the one who justifies us and redeems us, gives us worth. That's a big deal. I love that. He paid our debt. He completely paid off all the moral, emotional, spiritual debts 
of our sin. And you know when you have a rich loved one who comes along and pays off all your debts, that can lift a little bit of gloom. How many are praying for a loved one like that? <laughs> it's great. He paid it all. All to him I owe. All to him. He took it all on his shoulders. Finally, to give us a kingdom or a government of peace. A government of peace. People have a tendency to look to the government to solve the problems. It's kind of a growing tendency that the government somehow can solve the economic problems, health problems, racial problems, broken homes, drug problems. But how many know quite a few Democrats who can do that for you? or a lot of Republicans who can really just solve all your issues for you. Anybody know anyone like that? God sent one. He sent a governor who can lift the load, who knows every issue, knows every problem, who not only died for our sins to wash us and make us right before God as a gift, but also to give us the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the paracletus, one called alongside to help, one called alongside to take over. You know, a lot of times you think, yeah, please help me, Holy Spirit, but don't, you know, don't do too much. I mean, no, take my case, would you? I need help big time. He can help you in prayer no matter what the issue or problem is. But above all, his job and his desire is to make Jesus so real. To make Jesus so real to you in the battle. Because you see, it is a battle. It's a fight of faith. What I'm talking about right now, the war is still going on. And it's going on right in here even for Christians, as well as non-believers, people who don't have Jesus yet. Maybe you're here and you don't have that close relationship yet, but Jesus wants you to have that. He came and removed the wall that separates us from God completely, that he might give you his gift of being right with God, of God's loving salvation, and then the Holy Spirit actually taking up residence within your body, which becomes his temple. That's amazing. And he's constantly seeking to lift the gloom. If you're living under a constant cloud of gloom, that's called unbelief. Because he wants to lift the load from your mind. You can cast these on him. Cast the fears. Cast the burdens. And ask him, help me in these areas. Show me, how do you want me to live? Show me the choices you want me to make. And things will change. 
Not that everything will be easy and, and all Pollyannish. No, but you have someone that knows the answers and one who can help you navigate it all. And sometimes he'll just flat out take care of it. Other times he'll just help you through it with his grace, which is so amazing. Jesus' presence banishes the gloom. I mean, his name is wonderful. Do you know that's a noun, by the way? We use wonderful generally as an adjective. Have a wonderful Christmas. You'll hear that at least another thousand more times. But in this case, it's not wonderful counselor. No, it's wonderful and counselor. It's a noun that literally means he's full of wonders. We're talking not just about a man who's nice and likes to say really these nice platitudes just to lift your spirit, but nothing really happens. No! He's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He's the mighty God, El Gabor, which means the power of God. God's champion given to us, the victor. You see, we don't, in this battle, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory as believers in Jesus. We're connected, we're joined with the victor when you're joined to Jesus. He's the champ. He's my hero. He's my savior, my God. Takes away the gloom. I just encourage you and I ask you, ponder those things. And let's pray right now and ask for God's help as each of us needs it. Dear Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for these verses. Thank you for this church. Dear God, I love this church. I love what you've done here and are doing here. It's exciting. This area in many ways is, is dark in a certain sense and it brings gloom in a certain sense. But you are so real here in these people and I pray that you'd fill their hearts with light, with hope, with strength. Lord, draw them into a deep and close relationship of trusting you. And if you're here while our heads are bowed, and you'd say, I really need to give all these burdens. I really need to, to unload myself upon Jesus 
and let him carry me while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You'd say, please pray for me, Pastor. I want that. Raise your hand, would you? God bless you. God bless you. Any others like prayer in closing here? You'd say, God bless you. Yes. Any of you, you want a really close relationship with God and you don't feel you have that yet. You don't feel that you're, you're really like he's your dearest and you don't have that, that kind of a relationship and you like prayer for that. Anyone like that? Yes, yes, yes. Awesome, awesome. Let's all pray this prayer together. Would you mind praying after me? I'll lead if you would repeat, but from the heart, just a simple prayer of entrusting ourselves and, and, and changing our thoughts to believe his promises. If you would, let's all, let's all pray it out loud, all of us. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming from God. Father, I thank you for sending this great light. This light of salvation for my soul. That you love me enough to die for me. And your blood washes my sins. It makes me white as snow. I thank you for that. And I receive that. And I repent of going my own way. Empower me now with your Holy Spirit. Fill me so that I can walk near to you day by day. Continue to show me how real you are. Teach me your word. Thank you for my family of God here. Keep giving me ears to hear and a heart to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for answering. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God, again for uh, 